Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. Today, we're joined in the Sojournal Podcast by 2005 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate, Ryan Russell. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to be here, Tyson. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. I understand that it's a turbulent time where you're located right now. Are, are you free to discuss things related to what's going on? Um, I mean, there's enough people talking about it that uh, I'm a small fish, so it doesn't really matter. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open about things here, uh, but uh, yeah, people are being arrested and people are having their homes raided, but um, I'm an expat living here, so they're they're doing that to politicians, celebrities, not expats right now. So, Okay, so to set the context then, um, Ryan is currently living in Myanmar. And, uh, you know, he, he spent some time after graduation here in the States uh, working with New Mission Systems International. And so now you're currently in Myanmar. So why don't you, uh, uh, first of all, just kind of give us a perspective on uh, what things were like for you before all of this went down. Well, I, I mean, I, I moved here about 10 years ago and um, things have been gradually getting better. I actually moved here uh, right after they uh, had their first democratic election in nearly 70, uh, 60 years. So um, shortly after the first election, things were changing pretty uh, quickly. Things were opening up, uh, foreign investment, freedoms were be given back. Uh, press was free again, and then now we've we've opened up to the point where we have a lot of international brands, malls, everything was pretty free. I can get KFC in five minutes. Oh yeah, KFC can get to me actually in five minutes because there's delivery. But uh, uh, we have a lot of international brands here, um, a lot of regional brands, and things are things are getting to be a lot easier. Uh, Education is getting better, healthcare is getting better. A lot of private hospitals now, which before when I moved here, it was only government hospitals and a few private clinics, and they were all very poorly run. Mm. And so I would go to see one of the embassy doctors because uh, they were the only ones that had proper degrees. Now you can go to a dozen hospitals here that are internationally, international standards, um, not as good as maybe Thailand or some of the other countries around, but they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. So things that things had made, made a big leap uh, in the last 10 years and we're continuing to grow and go, go better. And then now, I mean, since February 1st, well, obviously the last year we've had lockdowns because of COVID and things have not been um, easy because of that, but uh, we've got a curfew from eight to, eight to six uh, every day, 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. Um, we have no internet from 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. Hmm and uh, can't gather in groups of more than five. Obviously, people are not doing that because of protests. Right. And they've, they've enacted a bunch of laws that basically, basically say that you can be arrested for anything that you say against the government. So, oh, wow. The, the new uh, illegitimate government. Right. So, yeah. Um, so what were you doing in particular? Are, are you running a business there in Myanmar? Yeah, I was doing a number of things. I originally came here to do youth ministry work and I, I was training youth pastors, things like that. And I got into doing loans for youth business startups. Oh, nice. And I did that for about four years. And then um, I decided to um, 
focused on financial literacy, did some stuff with human trafficking uh, for a little bit, and just trying to actually the last four years of just trying to find find out what I'm doing really and um, running running a couple of businesses. I have a tour company and I have a consulting company, and those are those are those were going well last year before COVID, and um, I was still doing some some mentoring with. Uh, with young, some young people in business, mm-hmm. some people from the church um, in business. And um, I speak occasionally uh, at the church um, to talk about, you know, using, using business in the kingdom and things like that. And I've done some events around businesses mission and things like that as well over the years, uh, years past. Currently I'm not doing much, obviously either, <laughs> it's very difficult to do anything <laughs> under the COVID under the COVID situation. I've been trying to just, uh, focus on um, making sure that my staff have salaries, mm. um, taking care of some of their families, giving them a little extra money because a lot of people lost their jobs over COVID. Right. And um, I've been just focused on, you know, caring for people, taking care of people that are under my responsibility. Mm. Wow. Uh, how, how free can you be with your faith in Myanmar? Are there any restrictions that way? Um, there's not really any restrictions, uh, per se. There are some subtle, um, prejudices in terms of like, uh, religious freedom and stuff like that. The government actually has a religious freedom in the constitution. Most religious persecution I've seen is really complicated, complex. And there's, there's almost never like just straight up religious persecution. It's more that the, the numbers of Christians are so, so low that they don't have network to get ahead. Mm. So re- religion is used to get network, get jobs, get ahead. And then there's there's so many ethnicities, different ethnicities, and there's a lot of racism um, in Myanmar. And so there's there's a majority, which is a Burmese Buddhist. And then there's uh, a minority, which is a bunch of other people. Mm. So much other ethnicities that some of them are Christians, some of them are other things. And um, I'd say that, generally speaking, religious persecution is not very high in Myanmar, but there is like general racism. Yeah, it's just one of the main factors. And I think that in terms of religious persecution, I think it's quite low in in comparison to a lot of countries. It's Um, not that it doesn't exist, but yeah. Well, I'm glad that, you know, at least you have, you know, a little bit of freedom, not as bad there as... uh, it might be in other places. So that's, uh, that's good that that's open to you and, uh, appreciate that, you know, what you're doing with, uh, with the youth and trying to, you know, stimulate their growth and their economy and, and that kind of thing. I mean, that's really good. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, to help folks understand, uh, who might be listening into this podcast, what happened in Myanmar that, that brought about the current turbulence? So, uh, it's really complicated. So I'll try to lay this out as clearly as possible. The dictator decided to retire around 2008, and they wrote a constitution to transfer the power from the military to a pseudo-civilian government uh, democracy. So uh, in the parliament, 25% of the seats are held by the military still. Mm -hmm. And then the military also made a political party so they could secure more seats in the parliament. To change the constitution, they have to have super majority to be able to like change the constitution at all, which makes it very difficult with 25% of your seats are already already military. So 
the political party that came out in 2015, they didn't participate in 2010. They, they boycotted the elections as being unfair. And uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, who is the, the face of the party and also the face of democracy in Myanmar, she uh, ran for office as well as many people from their party. And they won a large majority of the uh, available seats but not enough to actually change the constitution. And she's not allowed to be president because they made a law in the constitution that says that anybody that has children that are foreigners cannot be president. Hmm. Um, and so her kids, she has kids that are living in the UK that hold UK passports. And um, so she created her own position called state chancellor, which was, she's basically above the president, but it's kind of an official unofficial position and so NLD, which is her party, National League for Democracy, basically has been running things uh, while the military has taken key ministries like Home Affairs, uh, several other ministries that are key to the running of the borders and they still control the military, the police, everything. And she is basically in charge, the Democratic Party is in charge of basically everything else, uh, economics, uh, education, healthcare, uh, infrastructure, everything. And so they, they went to work in 2015 to continue to develop things from the, the government that was before them in 2010 to 2015, uh, which was led by the military, but they were retired military that uh, put on politicians' clothing. Mm. So they've been in charge for five years, Suchi and her party, and they've been pushing for the constitution be changed. And during her time, they also had this issue with the Rohingyas where the military attacked. Several times throughout my interview with Ryan Russell, we lost internet connection with one another. I had to wait patiently while his internet reconnected and he reconnected to the meeting room where we were conducting our interview. At this particular juncture in our discussion, he lost connection. And when we did reconnect, here's what we heard. Can you hear the banging? Oh, yeah. Every night at 8 p.m., everybody goes under their balcony and bangs pots and pans in defiance of the military. Mm. So the whole country goes out on their balconies and bangs pots and pans from 8 to 8.20 every night. Really loud. At this point, Ryan closed the balcony door and we resumed our conversation about the political situation. So Suchi is... Uh, she's basically had her hands tied where she's trying to change the country, but she also cannot change it too much for the military to be upset. And um, in 2017, the uh, military moved into Rakhine State and attacked the Rohingyas, which pushed them, uh, pushed about 900,000 people into Bangladesh. And there's been news that they are now in the international court that the military leaders are now uh, being charged with genocidal intent with trying to eradicate the range of people. Hmm. Um, and so Suu Kyi went to International Criminal Court to speak on behalf of the military. And so people spoke really poorly about her, um, that she did this, that she lost face. And the international community said that she should have her Nobel Prize pulled from her. She won a Nobel Peace Prize before. Hmm. And she spoke on their behalf because she is kind of stuck in this way where she's trying to protect 
the country from these military guys. And so she felt compelled to speak on behalf of the country, not necessarily on behalf of them. What people don't understand is that she has no control over the military. Mm. They are an autonomous entity. And so she did not tell them to go into a kind state and to attack the Rohingya people. They did that on their own. Hmm. So she's been trying to negotiate with them over the last few years to continue to change the constitution. And then the election happened in November. And in November, they won uh, by a landslide. About 83% of the, of the seats that were available, the NLD won. So what that means is now they have enough to change the constitution. They have enough seats to change the constitution without the military. So the military said that there was voter fraud, that there's no way that this happened. The NLD did not take them seriously, said there was no voter fraud. The UEC, which is the Union uh, Election Commission, uh, did not uh, listen to the military at all, would not look into it. They said it was a free and fair election. And a couple of weeks before the coup happened, the military came out and said that they might take over the country, blah, blah, blah. It got heavy pushback. So they kind of backtracked and said, oh, we were not serious. We, we missed the, the spokesman misspoke, blah, blah, blah. But uh, what ended up happening is that on February 1st, was when the new government was supposed to take their seats in the parliament to sit for the first time. In the morning that that was supposed to happen, the military took the country. Hmm. And the, the lead general, uh, Min Online, he's 64 years old, and he's supposed to retire in June when he turns 65. And so part of it is he's retiring, he wants to retain some kind of power, Another is that they might change the constitution, which would then put the military in jeopardy. And these guys are up for, you know, international crimes. Suchi would hand them over to the international courts to be tried and jailed if she's able to change the constitution and take control of the military. And so it's kind of, uh, there's a lot there. Um, right. Some chess, chess matches. But um, I, I think the military did not understand the public opinion. And um, they're now seeing that the people here are not accepting that they're in charge. Hmm. Do you see any potential for um, getting the country back without, you know, a major civil war or anything? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of bloodshed, probably, honestly. It's really sad, but. I think they, the military has gone far enough that they're not going to back down now. Mm. And the people have uh, come out enough days in a row. Even the police were out beating people. They were, they had hired people to stab people yesterday. Mm. People were getting stabbed in the streets. Protesters were, and today they were beating them and shooting, shooting in their vicinity uh, to disperse the crowds. So I think, I think there's going to be a lot of violence and I hope that somebody can step in or that they can bring them to the table to negotiate something because I think it's going to be bad because along with all this, there's even uh, ethnic armed groups. So all the minorities have their own military and they've all joined together now and have pledged to protect the people. So 
yeah, we're kind of at a, kind of in a melting pot um, currently. Wow, that's 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 incredible. How uh, fear of losing power causes mm-hmm. such a reaction. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, I, I don't know how much more we can really get into and um, help people understand what's going on, but definitely sounds like something that. Um, you know, we need to be praying for your safety and for the safety of the folks there in Myanmar as best we can. Yeah. Um, are you are you free at all to uh, evacuate if necessary? Um, they have there is a, there's a flight for Americans on Sunday, but I'm not getting on it. And I think that they might do another evacuation flight if there's if if things escalate a bit. Uh-huh. But I I don't have plans to leave. I I, I get that. And, you know, so that just means I'll be praying for you even more for your safety, because that's uh, that's that's a scary situation to be in. Um, Yeah, every day, every day is different. And we're not sure what will happen tomorrow. And um, just trying to see what there is to do while we while we have some freedom of movement and just assessing things if we need to go to Thailand or not, or have to have to stay here as long as possible, because I have staff that need depend on me right so yeah just trying to decide all that and seeing what we should do johnson alumni that are listening to this is there anything that they can do to help you or help the people that you're serving yeah i mean i there are ways to help maybe i can share some of that maybe more privately in terms of fundraising or something like that okay but um there are there are there are people helping in different ways um, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to get into like politics and insurrection and stuff like that, yeah, right, but, right. uh, well, if but there yeah, are ways we can talk offline and, um, sure, sure. And, and then if anybody reaches out to me, I can share, share that kind of path forward. Sure. Sure. Okay. So did, w- were you doing that youth ministry work through NMSI? Yeah. It's like a sending, uh, mission sending agency, uh, with like, uh, missionary assassins or whatever. In terms of like, uh, they they help you with infrastructure to be able to go, but they don't really tell you what to do. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think they've changed a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been over I've been overseas for about ten years, so they might they might say something different now. When I started, it was more like you uh, can come join and do what you feel led to do, uh, ministry wise, and then they would help you enable what your vision is to do whatever work that you wanted to do. And, um, and so I, I've, when I came out of college, I focused on youth ministry. I was doing like four or five trips a year, or maybe three to four trips a year with youth groups overseas. And then I was doing uh, youth ministry education trips like two, year, two a year um, when I first got out of university to like do train youth pastors and stuff like that. But that wasn't stuff that New Mission Systems was doing. That was stuff I did. And they were doing because I was doing them. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're yeah. more of an empowering organization for you to live out the vision you feel like you have. Yeah, I would. I would say that I. That's what they were then. I don't really know what they are now because they don't. They didn't bother me that much, to be honest. <laughs> so um, they allow you to have quite a bit of freedom. They have like a regional director that that checks in on you. Um, as often as you want to be checked in on and uh, they visit the field and stuff like that. And yeah, you, you do your work, you report 
they do like uh, take care of your finances for you in terms of raise the money you raise. And then they also do like uh, help you with all the, the branding and stuff like that for newsletters and send those out for you and things like that. So, cool. so yeah, they, they offer, they offer different services and stuff and it's kind of like a, a buffet of whatever you want to take <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. Tell me about your journey to faith. How did you, how did you discover Christ? Um, my dad's a pastor. So we, um, I grew up in the church basically and uh, my dad became a pastor when I was little, small. He was, uh, I, I had, had been born with um, some health problems, lungs, lung issues, and um, which made us move to Arizona so I could breathe better. Uh-huh. And in Arizona, my dad decided to go into ministry. And then we moved to California where he went to, um, then it was Pacific Christian College. Uh-huh. And uh, now it's Hope University. Right. And um, then they, we moved back to Kansas where we, where we're from. And my dad, um, I grew up in that kind of central Kansas area uh, before I, we moved to Kentucky for a couple of years before I ended up in Tennessee at Johnson. Okay. So did your lung issues get better? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Um, I was in the hospital quite a bit when I was little mm-hmm. and I was, I was on oxygen until I was um, six. Oh, wow. So. <clears throat> yeah, I still I still struggle a little bit. I um I'm on a steroid inhaler and I yeah, I still have lung issues, but overall I'm okay. Manageable now. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so uh wow, Arizona to California to to Missouri to Kentucky and then you ended up at Tennessee. So, uh how in the world did you find Johnson? Yeah, I when I lived in Kentucky, I was I moved there when I was in sophomore year in high school, and um, I decided shortly after I moved to Kentucky that I wanted to go into ministry, um, and I had, you know, um, gone to camp my whole life uh, and really enjoyed going to camp every year. I probably averaged three or four weeks of camp every summer, <laughs> wow. and um, yeah, and, and my senior year, I was kind of struggling to decide where to go to school. Had, cho- had a choice to go basically where my whole family had gone to Sterling College in Sterling, Kansas. And I went on a college visit there, but I didn't feel 100% about it. Mm-hmm. And I had been to Johnson's campus when I was in high school, but I didn't really remember it much. I went to, uh, you know, the spring, uh, what's it called? The yeah, spring, spring retreat, retreat where all the high school, yeah, spring retreat, yeah. And um, didn't really remember it much, to be honest. Um, Cause I think I was on campus like maybe one day my youth pastor liked to be in Gatlinburg. So like he, uh, we, we spent like the, the main day on campus and went to Gatlinburg for the rest of the time. But, uh, my senior year, I was struggling to decide. And then I went to camp and one of Johnson's teams was at the camp and it was Terry Arnold, Jed Fuller, Ryan Fulmer and Mindy. That team was there. Uh-huh. And yeah, and I just I decided that week that I'd go to Johnson. <laughs> I just decided. And I didn't do a college visit again or at all or anything. I just moved down um basically three or four weeks after camp. Just moved down to Johnson and went. So So what'd you come to kind Johnson of, to study? Uh youth ministry and preaching. 
at that youth ministry and preaching degree. Uh-huh. That was that was so popular. <laughs> so <laughs> <That> still is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Did uh yeah. So when you come is that what you graduated with was youth ministry and preaching then? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so did you uh when you graduated have any sense of direction to go actually into a youth ministry or preaching vocation? Um I had I had I had a couple options, but I decided I wanted to, uh, it, yeah, I think all of my, my big decisions are kind of in my life have been kind of rushed in last minute. So mm-hmm. I, I, after my senior year at Johnson, I had no job prospects at all. I had been an interim youth pastor in a church in Knoxville, uh, I think Sevierville Heights feels like a long time ago. Severe Heights. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I really loved that church. It was really good. And I decided uh, to go overseas. I'd already planned on going overseas all summer after I graduated, uh, traveling with uh, Phil Hudson from New Mission Systems and went to Russia and Bulgaria that summer. And then when I got back, I was just trying to decide. I couldn't decide really what I want to do, whether to join New Mission Systems or be a youth pastor here in the U.S., or in the U.S., but I tried to decide what I thought was best for my personal growth, and I felt like I would grow a lot faster, better in the environment down in New Missions, and I decided to join New Missions. So I got back, I think, in July, early August, and then I moved down to New Missions in November. So what was your role with New Missions? Initially, I was the uh, co-director of this uh, program called Go Global. It is basically like uh, missions retreats for youth, like teaching about missions and then uh, summer mission trips. And yeah, I did that for a few years and um, got into doing like youth ministry education in different countries. And so I was doing that a little bit during the fall and spring before the trips in the summer. And then just kind of from 2005 to about 2008, I did that. And then uh, I launched uh, a new branch of new missions called Youth Hope with a couple people. And I did that for two years. And then I moved to Myanmar. So, and Youth Hope was basically, a lot of it was what I had been doing before with youth ministry education. It was just done with a team and we were, we were putting, we were helping people uh, end up moving overseas to do youth ministry in different countries and empowering local youth leaders and stuff like that. So I was doing that. Cool. So shifting gears a little bit to your experience at Johnson. I mean, I hear how you got here, uh, see how you, you know, where you went afterwards, but what was your experience like actually as a student at Johnson? I'm thinking, you know, uh, spiritually, socially, um, academically, talk to me about your journey here at Johnson. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Made some lifelong friends. I enjoyed the professors. Um, The classes were really good. Um, I enjoyed student life. Yeah, I had a good time. I mean, there were things that are different now that I wish were there when I was there. But, uh, but in terms of my experience at Johnson, it was fantastic. It just felt like, uh, yeah, it felt like everyone, everyone was friends, um, lots of people to hang out with, uh, 
listening to sermons every day was really good. I really enjoyed that, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. Um, anything specific when, you when, want me to talk about? When you said uh, that things were different, what are you, what are you referring to? Um, I know the campus has gotten a lot better. Uh, some new buildings. I know the like the new the new cafeteria is really nice. I've been I've been there since then. It's been built. Isn't there like a Starbucks on campus or something? <laughs> well, there's a coffee kiosk on campus that serves Starbucks. It's not really an official. Starbucks oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, not an official Starbucks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there were. I mean, overall, I think the facilities when I was there were, were excellent, and mm -hmm. um, Johnson does a good job of keeping up with the times and providing the best available things for students. And that was one of the things I liked about Johnson is because I knew that they were thinking about the the students' well-being on campus and them enjoying themselves and having the nice, nice things and mm -hmm. um, things like that. And so, yeah, I, I thought it was great. The, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, what are some of the changes that are more relaxed? Like uh, I, I guess students can, students can wear shorts now into the administrative building and into the yeah, activity center and those things. So that's a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. Some of those, some of those, some of the rules were kind of like arbitrary, kind of weird, random rules. <laughs> like uh like uh playing cards in the lobby and <laughs> right wearing short can't wear shorts in the top part of the the eubanks building but you can in the bottom part uh um, right yeah so just like some there were a lot of like some super strange random rules that that were kind of funny that i think students they didn't really care overall but they kind of thought they were kind of weird rules to have um in general yeah, you know, a lot of rules, so, you really don't understand why they're in place unless you know the story behind what caused them to be implemented in the first place. No, so for I, sure. I for imagine sure. that's part of it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I had a, I, I had remember a, those things. Yeah, I had a pretty rocky, I had a pretty rocky first weekend at Johnson, actually. <laughs> did you really? Uh, yeah, I did, because I didn't read the student handbook before I joined because it was such a, it was such a quick, you know, I had a, such a quick decision to go to school that I didn't. I honestly didn't know a lot of the rules when I came on campus and some of them are just, you're supposed to know, or somebody's supposed to tell you the rules. And I mean, Dave Legg was the Dean of students then, which he's, he was, he was really great because he, you know, he definitely looked at the rules for the reasons of the rules. And also he was also good at like deciding when the rules should be taken at their word. And when the rules were just a, key parameters, um, things like that. So um, luckily he was the Dean of students and he had a good sense of humor. <laughs> so we might, I was up because I, I applied so late and got in so late. I was up in Clark Hall when they were using it as overflow. Mm -hmm. My first year I was in overflow in Clark Hall. And um, again, I didn't really, I was fine with it. I didn't really care. But the guys in the overflow, I knew that there was a there was like this kind of weird mix of guys that were kind of on the edge of of breaking rules all the time, kind of guys in there, <laughs> and then guys that wanted, and then guys that wanted privacy and quiet. Um, and so it's kind of like that kind of a split. And I'm I'm kind of like the, the type of person that's kind of in the middle. So depending on my company, I can go either way. <laughs> so we did that first weekend. We did like a we did a cookout on the porch of Clark Hall and took the furniture out of the lobby and put it outside. And that was, I think we, I think we ended up breaking like five rules. 
within a matter of two hours. <laughs> and um, we had to sit down and um, I can't remember who the dorm dad was then, or but he was really mad. And then we had to talk to Dean Leg, and, you know, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. And we're like, I was, I was honestly, the whole pro- process, I was kind of puzzled. Like there's something wrong with us enjoying ourselves. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, for me, it was kind of funny because I wasn't, I wasn't actually getting in trouble because I wasn't there when they got in trouble. I was there right before they got in trouble. I had to go to soccer practice. So um, I missed out on getting the brunt of it, but I did participate in the buying of the food and everything and uh, moving (laughs) things outside. Oh, so you're the instigator. Okay. I I get it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So uh, what, what faculty members do you remember most? I mean, you know, think about, you have any stories from your classroom experience or anything that jump out to you? I had Rick, Rick York as a missions class. Uh-huh. And I remember Rick being really funny all the time, just re- super funny guy. And so after my freshman year, I was like, I got to get out of the, um, I was working in the snack bar um, when it was a snack bar uh-huh. uh, downstairs. Um, and I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm, I'm doing too many extracurricular activities. So I'm not able to do my, my, my uh, work study properly. And, you know, Desmond was in charge of the cafeteria mm-hmm. and he was getting, he and Corey, Corey was in charge of the downstairs. They were getting super annoyed by me because I was uh, having to change with everybody all the time, work schedules. And cause I was doing choir, uh, travel choir. And also I was playing soccer my freshman year, mm-hmm. uh, did both. And so I didn't really, I'd have to make up a lot of hours during the, the test weeks people would be studying and I would be working. So I'd have to make up a lot of the hours then. So um, I remember like, I got to get out of here because I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm really making these guys mad uh, <laughs> that I'm doing this a lot. So my sophomore year, I got to get out of here. So I, I, I liked Rick because I had him in a freshman class and I was like, Hey, is it possible that you could have me be your teacher's assistant next year? He's like, yeah, sure. And uh, so I got out and I got to work with him for a year. And then Brent Brewer came in the next year and Brent kept me on. And uh, I spent a lot of time with Brent for, for two years um, in his office a lot, helping him with um, class stuff and things like that. And yeah, I enjoyed spending a lot of time with Brent. Uh, probably one of the reasons why I ended up moving overseas or being interested in missions um, I kind of always in- interested in missions, but kind of interested for other people. Like I was interested as like a bystander, mm-hmm. but uh, he was really encouraging to me when I got opportunities to do stuff with in- new missions. And also I had an opportunity to go to Central India Christian Mission while I was in university. I got a scholarship to go visit their mission while I was in school and Brent really encouraged me in the fundraising area and how to do that and stuff like that. So yeah, he was great. He was a great guy. And Dr. Dr. Owens had a lot of, I had him for every old Testament class and he really inspired me to really love the old Testament a lot. And yeah, just he, I even email him now. Um, He and I email back and forth every once in a while. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Dr. Owens is a great guy. He's super good. Super. He's a good one. Of course. So is Brent. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. But uh, those two guys and then. Um, so did you intentionally take uh, Dr. Owens for your Old Testament classes? I mean, I know Dr. Reese taught those as well. Yeah, I, I unfortunately never got to take a, a Dr. Reese class. I'm trying to think if I did or not. I know that everybody takes that, that took Dr. Reese class. I know he's he's passed now, but everyone that's take that had taken one of his really, really raved and loved it. But um, I guess I got I got stuck with the 730 classes. <laughs> so I ended up with Dr. Owens and I loved the classes so much. I just took every one of his classes that I could take. I get that. There are certain so, professors that resonate with this. And so, you know, some people's styles mm -hmm. uh, we fit in with more than others. But, you know, I, I don't think it mattered whether you took Dr. Owens or Dr. Reese because they were both just they well, Dr. Reese was Dr. Owens is a great teacher. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, I, I, I get that. Did you ever have uh, Bob Martin for any of your classes? I had him for the Gospel of John and. Yeah, it was really good. Um, he has a very, he had a very mesmerizing voice. And um, I think New just did a writing about Bob recently. New uh, Nguyen, uh -huh. Nguyen. Uh -huh. He just wrote about Bob recently for one of his sermons. And I think I was in that class with him because he talked about the class was right after lunch. And it was very hard to stay awake. Not because the content, the content was amazing. But it was because Bob's uh, slow, melodious voice was very hard to stay awake in that class. <laughs> uh, but the class was amazing. It was so good. Um, but it was like the worst time of day, like right after lunch. It's like a right. 110. Right. So everybody right after lunch would go up and go to class and fall asleep. <laughs> um, but it was but it was too bad because, you know, I I don't I don't think I I think I slept through a few of Dr. Owen's classes because they were so early in the morning, but uh, I try to stay awake for, for Bob's because they were just so good. Yeah. He had a lot of content. It wasn't, it wasn't the most uh, engaging style, but his content was mm -hmm. rich and deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. So uh, what, what about chapel? You have any chapel memories? I don't know if you remember this, but it was kind of a big deal at the time, but uh, I was the president of student council. Uh-huh. So we were in charge of a number of we were in charge of a number of chapels, and one chapel we you know we it was very difficult to keep the worship leaders on time because they had kind of like a you know there was just a small window of worship in the preaching and stuff like that and so uh, sometimes the worship leaders would get a little out of control and go a little too long, which would cut the preaching short. Uh -huh. And I remember once one chapel. Uh, Dr. Mattingly is supposed to speak, preach, and uh, the worship went on and on and on. And um, it was one of our, it was one of our uh, student council's weeks to arrange uh, worship and stuff like that. And we had told them everything. We told them you can't go longer than this amount of time and blah, blah, blah. But they just kept going and going and going. And I tried to, I, I mean, I, you can't really do anything in that setting, right? You've got the right. whole student body there and worship and they were dr mattingly was he handled it okay i wouldn't say like amazingly <laughs> uh but trying to remember who who else was there it was i went to, immediately to rick beam's office uh because i knew that they were going to be really upset because dr mattingly had like a very important sermon he wanted to preach and he didn't get to preach any of it actually 
Mm. And um, so I went immediately to to Rick Bean's office, and I saw. I was trying to think who else was was there. There were a couple other people there that were professors, faculty, and they were so upset about him not getting to preach. And um, and so we ended up uh, having to make a few rules for chapel because the worship team was they were freshmen and they didn't really understand the importance of staying within the time frame. And so we had to make rule that uh, freshmen couldn't lead worship <laughs> because uh, they didn't really understand the parameters of things and stuff like that. So we, we did that. So there's, there was stuff like that. I, I was a part of in the middle of that were kind of interesting situations with chapel and stuff, but sounds like learning lessons. Um, I mean, that's a good opportunity to grow. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, juggling the personalities, juggling the 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 uh, struggles. Um, just yeah, I mean, I could, it, I I admired you, uh, you know, as a uh, as a uh, a student government officer. I mean, I th I thought you did well when you were in that position. So um, that that was one of the things that I remember about you in your time at Johnson, and it wasn't for yeah. bad reasons. So you know, <laughs> rest assured mm -hmm. on that one. Uh, I, I, I yeah. thought you did well there. You know, as we start to come to a close on this podcast, uh, what is something that you've learned since you left Johnson that you would really wish to make sure our current students know before they leave? Oh, man. I would say a couple of things. Don't take yourself too seriously. Work with people you really like to work with. Um, there's plenty of people out there to work with. Find people you really like to work with and work with them. Put everything on paper. If you're doing any kind of work, hmm. make sure there's a plan and a contract and there's uh, times that you go back to the contract and you reassess things. All contracts have to have an uh, expiry date. So you need to, um, any kind of thing, even with your best friend, if you're doing something uh, business-wise or ministry, doesn't matter what it is, you should write everything down, responsibilities, roles, and um, there needs to be an expiration date to look at it and renegotiate and be able to make sure that things are fresh always and healthy, that sort of thing. Um, you're, you're probably not going to save the world, but you have the ability to influence and impact people in a lot of different ways. Even small things are really big to a lot of people. And a lot of the stuff that we do in our lives will never, we'll never see the result of it. I know there's a lot of things. Mm, those are all, I mean, you said so many good things there that it's like, wow, I mean, you know, that's, that's good advice. And, and that's why I asked the question. I mean, sometimes mm. we think we know it all when we get to the end of our academic journey and recognize after several years out in the world that uh, <laughs> we just didn't know as much as we thought we did. <laughs> no, I think, I think the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Right, exactly so. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that's one thing my master's degree taught me uh, was mm. that, you know, I thought I knew a lot when I got out with my undergraduate degree. Then I took my master's degree and finished that thinking, man, there is so much I don't know. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. we're talking about theology, about faith, the New Testament, all of that stuff. I mean, there's mm -hmm. just so much I don't know, but uh, great stuff. Okay, uh, one last question for you. I'm going to give you a moment to think about it while I do a commercial. But this question is, if you had one minute to give a message to the world, what are you going to say? Now, while you're thinking about your answer to that, 
Uh, let me just tell our listeners that the Sojourner podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Ryan Russell, graduate of Johnson University, Tennessee in the class of 2005. Do you have a one minute message for the world? I just say that uh, things sometimes are bad. Bad things happen. Tomorrow's a new day and cling on to those who really love you and, and are caring for you and always look to the light and um, yeah, just continue to build yourself and those around you to make better communities and better leaders and better people in general. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with me and uh, for you know stretching the end of your day today to uh, connect with me halfway across the world. Uh, we really appreciate you being a guest on the Sojournal Podcast. Thanks, Tyson. I appreciate it. New episodes of the Sojournal Podcast drop each Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you then.